So Joshua chapter 3 is a, an incredible story. If you've never read it before, I'll, I'll give you the, the update. Uh, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, have been wandering for 40 years. And God tells them, it's, it's time to go into the land that I've, that I've prepared for you, the land that I'm going to give you. And uh, years ago, they had sent out 10 spies, 12 spies, and 10 came back and said, no, we can't do it. Two came back one by the name of Joshua and the other by the name of Caleb, and said, we can do it. We must go up now and take what God has given to us. But the ten prevailed, and they started another tour of wandering. But now they sent out two spies, and they sent them over to Jericho, and they met a harlot named Rahab, and they found out that everybody in the land was already scared of them because of what God had done in the mighty works of getting them out of Egypt. And so that very next day, as they come back, they're, they're like, okay, we've, we've heard this, we know it's from you, and we, we see them as they begin to process this, and, and it's time to finally go into the land that God has prepared for them. And I don't know about you, um, I believe that all of us have a, a place and we have land that we need to take. I believe that all of us have destinies. I believe that all of us think maybe we can control those destinies, but we do a poor job doing that. And we need God to lead us and guide us and show us what we're supposed to do. But I also want to tell you before we even get into this, that it's not always what you think. They thought maybe they were going to go in and just have this incredible land, and yet they found out we got to clear out the people that are there. God has given us the land, but we still have to clear out the, the stuff that's there. And I think for some of us, we encounter difficulties after we start walking with God, and we say, well, what good is this if I have to do X, Y, and Z, or if I'm having these difficulties? That doesn't mean God's not God. It just means that you're a normal person that has to fight for what God has already given you, because somebody else wants that as well. And so we pick it up right here in, in Joshua chapter 3. Joshua rose early in the morning. Again, the, the spies have just came back and said that these people are terrified because of us. So he gets up early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. And this is a big river between uh, Canaan and where they had been wandering for all this time. It's a major river of that area. So it was, after three days, that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and they went before all the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You will command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, 
and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Notice all the enemies there. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore... Take for yourself twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand up as a heap. And so it was. When the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its bank during the whole time of harvest. So it was at flood stage. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away, all the way to Adam, the city that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. That's a pretty incredible story, but it's our story. I think we all have boundaries. I think we all have barriers. I think we all have places that God is asking us to go. Now, the question is, will you do what he's asked you to do? That's the big question. Because what's hard for us is to trust God when we don't see the way paved, when we don't see that everything is just fine, and we want it easy. But God doesn't promise to make it easy. In fact, there's times in the Bible where he makes things maybe a little difficult so that he can get the glory. See, we want the glory when we do these things, but he is the one that wants the glory. And it creates in us trust. And I thought about this story, and I thought about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. If it was me, I wouldn't cross the Jordan when it was flooding. If it was me, I wouldn't cross opposite the biggest, most fortified city with the best warriors that there were. If it was me, I would have done something different. I would have waited till the flood went down. I would have waited for God to take care of Jericho. I would have waited for God to drive out all the ites. (laughs) And then I would have went in. But I would have still been waiting. And that's what's happening with many of you. You think you're waiting on God, but He's waiting on you. He's called you to something big. He's called you to something purposeful. He's called you to what He's promised. But you keep waiting for it to be easy. You keep waiting for it to be perfect. And He never called it to be perfect. He just said, when I say go, you go. Because He's already got it laid out. But that's the problem. Or you can wander. 
And many of us, that's the problem of our modern age. We get spiritually bored, not because God has changed, not because He won't lead you, but we're not sure we want to go and cross the Jordans of our life and take back the land that He's promised to us, and we start to wander, and when we wander, we wander from Him, we wander from our faith, we wander from our values, and pretty soon we're just complaining a lot, just like the people of Israel. He'd been sending quail, he'd been sending manna, he'd provided water, and it was never enough. And that's what happens when we wander. We become whiners and complainers. And so if you're wondering, why am I whining and complaining, or somebody's been telling you've been complaining, maybe because you're wandering, not wondering, wandering. But look at how he says that we're going to do this. He says, get up early in the morning. He did. He gave them three days. The officers come and they say, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, this is something that they all knew. They'd been building their tabernacle and they'd been encamping around the Lord for 40 years. They knew what this was. And this is a big golden box that had two long rods suspended between it. Because God always wanted to be in our midst, but He didn't want us to casually come and touch Him. Another problem we face today is people that casually approach God and that it doesn't turn out so well. Yes, God is a personal God. Yes, He has relationship with you. But yes, He is holy. And yes, we need to have reverence when we approach Him. It's impossible for a human to be buddy-buddy with God. Can He forgive us? Can He love us? Yes, but we are not like Him. Make no mistake, we are not like Him. What His desire was, was this was a foreshadow that all of us should get. God always said, when it comes time to move, I'll lead the way, but you're not going to pick me up and take me where you think you want to go. You're going to... Bear me. You're going to carry me in your midst. This is a New Testament symbol of the Holy Spirit that we carry Him in our midst and it should guide us and lead us. Keep your hands off. They would have these long poles and the priests would duck under and they'd carry the poles with the ark suspended in the middle of them. And that would be how they would go into battle and that would be how they would go out as they marched. That the ark would lead them because in that ark is, is the tangible presence of God. Now God didn't leave heaven, but that was their show, that was their sign of who God was. It had certain articles in there we're not going to get in today. But look at what he says. When you see the priest, when you see the, the men of God bearing it, he says... Then you set out from your place and you go after it. Can I tell you, church, when God begins to move, we need to go after it. You don't need to wait. You don't even need to think about it. When we know that it's a move of God, go after it. And now you may be saying, no, wait, 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 pastor, because we could follow some weirdness. And, and I get that. And I'm not saying to just follow blindly. But I think way too often, We think our way out of what God wants to do and where He wants to lead us. We start thinking about all the reasons why we shouldn't. We start thinking about all the things that, well, I wonder about this and I wonder about this, as if God didn't know who you were and didn't know what was going on in your life. And this is what He says. When you see God move, move from your place and go after it. There's nothing in your place 
And that's part of the problem. We get comfortable. We like camp set up the way we like camp set up. And they'd been doing this. If you haven't read this story, for 40 years they had been camping and disassemble camp and walk and then reassemble camp, sometimes for a month, sometimes for a few days, because it was always at God's discretion. We're going to camp here. Great. And just about the time they get comfortable, he says, hey, we're going to move. We just got comfortable. We just got unpacked. We just found water. I said, move. Now, guess what? They didn't have to move. But if not, then you're stuck in the wilderness, and God's not waiting around for you anymore. And I think some of this is happening in our modern ages. We think that God just comes at our beck and call, and He doesn't. He's still guiding and leading, and we should be following Him, not the other way around. Yes, He's a God we can pray to whenever, however, for whatever is going on in your life. But He is not our beck and call God that He just shows up and does little signs and wonders for Him. His goal is to lead us and be in our midst, and our job is to follow Him. No exceptions. Always follow Him. But that's tough because we're not sure we want to follow Him. What if He doesn't take me where I want to go? What if it isn't the way I want it to be? That wasn't the question. The question is, are you going to follow Him? That's been the question through all the ages. Are you going to follow Him? Now look at the distance. He says, give Him some space. (laughs) And that distance is about half a mile. So you think about all the tribes. They say upwards of one to, to maybe three million people... And they're watching. Now think about this. You've got to be focused on God because if He's out there a half a mile and you start getting lackadaisical, pretty soon you may not see Him. How's your focus on God today? Did you know that the Bible says that our hearts and our eyes should be fixed on Him? And when they're fixed on Him, we have perfect peace? There He is. I know where He's going. I can follow that. And the reason why he says give space is you don't know where you're going. But I do. You keep back and you just watch me lead. But I think even bigger is this. How much space do you give God in your life? Or does he keep getting pushed out? Are the other things filling in or the things pressing him out. How much space is there for God in your life? A couple hours on Sunday? Or are we seriously going to follow him? That means we have to find our proper space and find our proper place. We want to rush on in. He's like, no, no, no. You just follow me. You don't even know where you're going. You've never been this way before. And that should be exciting for us. But think about where we're at in our world today. For many people, they want to control everything. And not knowing exactly what's going on makes them nervous and anxious and fearful when it should be, God, you got this. Thank God I don't know everything that lies ahead. You've already thought... I mean, think about that. If he told you everything you were going to face when you first got saved... I think about commercials I've been seeing lately that I'm thinking, I'm so thankful for the technology, but 
there's some things I don't want to know. They've got all this new genetic testing saying how it's going to make your life easier until you get the thing back and say you're going to have Parkinson's. Or type 2 diabetes. Or chronic heart disease. How would you like to know that at 28 when you send in that 23 and me? That's what's looking out ahead of you. Woohoo! Now, sure, maybe, maybe we can be optimistic and say, if I know that, I'll change my lifestyle. But we are people that are opposed to lifestyle change. And we say to ourselves, just because it happened to me and my grandpa and my grandpa, grandpa's grandpa's grandpa, it doesn't mean it's going to happen to me. And we keep doing what we've been doing, hoping it doesn't happen to us. It's the same thing here. They've been hoping for 40 years. Hey, get us into the promised land. Are you going to trust me? Nope. Okay, take another lap. Okay, we're good. Are you ready to go in? No, yep. Uh, trust me. Nope. And they take another lap. For 40 years, it was only an 11-day journey. <laughs> that's a long time to wander. But God had a purpose. He said He was going to test them and try their hearts to see if they would trust God. That's what made me think about Proverbs where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. You may think you got this figured out, but we don't see like He thieves. And then the next part says something like this, In all your ways... All your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Now think about that. When we acknowledge Him, and we think about Him, and we trust Him, He will direct our path. It may be a half mile ahead of us, but we know that we can follow God, and He's leading us to the place that we should be. But if we don't trust Him and we don't acknowledge Him, then I direct my path. Or even worse, we hand that over to others to direct our path. And then we end up in bad places, in bad situations, wandering. You haven't passed this way before. You've got to give me some space. You need to know that I'm the Lord your God and I will lead you out of here to where you're going to be. Then Joshua goes to the people, and this is, this is a big one, church. And, and I know this is Old Testament, but this has such great application for this morning. He goes to everybody in the camp. He lets everybody know. Look what he says. Sanctify yourself. For the Lord your God is going to do wonders among you. Now, they were probably anxious, and they probably thought they were ready. They had their, their running shoes on. They're ready to go. But it was a lot more than just having the right clothes on. It was a lot more than just having the camp packed up. And thank God, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that we don't have to do sacrificial or ceremonial cleansing anymore. He is our cleansing. He is our covering. But sanctify does translate into the New Testament where it says several times, sanctify yourself. Now, that's a big word that we rarely hear anymore. Some of them even say consecrate. But what it really means is set apart, dedicated to, for that use. 
See, when I marry my wife, I'm sanctified to her. That means I don't get used by anybody else. Or I die. A long, painful death. Now you laugh, but do you notice that we've forgotten some of this today? And I'm not downing people that have been divorced. Divorce happens, I get it, you can recover. But if you really want to make sure your divorce is solid, sanctify yourself. You're only for her and he's only for you. When we don't sanctify ourselves, problems come up. No matter how passionate the love, no matter how hot they look, no matter how great their clothes, when we don't sanctify ourselves, problems will arise and we will find ourselves in mess. And the same thing that goes right here. God said, if you're going to be my people, are you ready to put all that slavery, all that bondage, all that whining, all that complaining in the past and follow me? Because it's going to require you to be sanctified to follow me. Now, here's another part that the Bible doesn't say. You can't make you do it. It's a choice. Notice he didn't say, I've got all the armed guards ready for you so that you're going to sanctify yourself. You can't force holiness on anybody. The church made this mistake. They thought they could enforce holiness. But you can't enforce holiness. You can enforce a dress code. You can enforce an order of a service. But you can't enforce holiness because that's an inside problem. That's an inside issue. That's something that's on the inside. Either you're going to do it or you ain't. And nobody can see it and nobody can fix it except for you. So he says, sanctify yourself. If you want to see the wonders of God, sanctify yourself. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to sanctify you. Who's responsible for your sanctification? Not Joshua, not the pastor, not even Jesus Christ. You are responsible to set yourself apart, to be dedicated to God. Now, this doesn't mean we don't go to work. It doesn't mean we have friendships. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is, my use, my purpose... In whatever I'm doing, the New Testament says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. That's sanctification. That's consecration. That's dedication. The problem is we're not sure we want to be bound by that narrow-minded, intolerant, old-age thinking like holiness, modesty, honesty, integrity. But those are the very things that guide us into great relationships first with God and then the people around us. It doesn't mean you have to change your job. It doesn't mean you have to redo your hair. I'm not talking about any Levite vows where you grow your hair and you grow a beard. Thank God, ladies, huh? We don't cut our hair and we've got a whole list of stuff to do. He's never called us to be Levites. But He has called us to sanctify ourselves and follow Him. And this may sound a little bit on your toes this morning, but this is the primary reason that churches are failing from the pastorate on down. We've forgotten, and it's not a pun, the sanctity of sanctification, how important it is. That I can't stand up here and just do this hoping for a paycheck. If I've forgotten and lost my way, I need to re-sanctify myself so I can follow God. 
Because if we're not careful, we'll listen to everybody else or follow this. There's enough stuff on the web. There's enough podcasts. There's enough stuff that I can copy somebody else and do something. And and nobody's going to know. But I'll tell you what, God knows and I know. And sooner or later, I will be empty. And I'm not following God anymore. I'm fulfilling an office of a pastor, but I'm not following God. The Holy Spirit's not leading me. I don't have passion anymore. I'm just doing it. And pretty soon, another little piece falls off. And pretty soon, I'm not sanctified to my wife. And pretty soon, I'm not sanctified to my money. And pretty soon, I'm not sanctified to my family. And my life begins to pull apart all because I forgot how important consecration, sanctification is. Now make no mistake, this doesn't mean become perfect in a day. (laughs) But through the act of sanctification each day, saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm here for you. Guide me at work. Help me be a better mother. Help me be a better father. Help me be a better friend and brother and sister. Lord, I want to follow you, and I will be led by your Holy Spirit instead of the things I want to do. That, day after day after day, will change your life. And that's what will lead us to the image of God. It's not a dress code. It's not remembering the Ten Commandments. It's not saying thou shalt or thou shalt not to everything in the world. It's about following God through thick and thin and daily consecrating our mind, our hearts, and our spirits. Back to Proverbs, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Part of sanctification is we stop living like the world lives. Now, now listen, I'm not against the world. They're the people that need to get saved. They're not our enemy, right? Our present culture is not our enemy. They are people that are just like you and me that need Jesus Christ. It's not our job to fight them or to divide them or push them away. Our job is to pull them in and push them up to Jesus. But if we live like them and we think like them and we work like them, we have lost sanctification and we become like them. No matter what you do on Sunday. So when God moves, you've got to go after it. He says, sanctify yourself. He wants to be in the middle of us. Notice what God did with, with Joshua. Joshua never questioned. He just said, I'm going to do what you're going to do. And so he didn't ask God to do this, but he said, if you'll trust me by what's going to happen today, I'm going to exalt you in the sight of all these people. See, that's the problem. We try to exalt ourselves. It doesn't go so well. When God exalts somebody, it turns out the way it's supposed to turn out. He says, and the way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Now, church, I'm not saying that you're going to have the same relationship that Moses or Joshua had, but you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and He can guide you and lead you and save you and mold you and make you and help you out of bondages and deliver you. All of those things, but it still requires effort on our part not to get saved, but determined to let Him do it in us. That's part of this process. So notice what he says. I'm not sending you out ahead. I'm going. I'm going to lead the way. Now think about this. Think about the pressure on the, on the priests and the Levites. They've, it's, have you ever seen somebody use like a, what we used to call a water witch? They take like a bent piece of metal, right? Two of them. And they'll walk along and, 
And suppose they are able to determine where uh, underground water is, and when they get to water, suppose they're supposed to cross, hey, there's water right there. I don't know how all that works. I don't know whether it's an old wives' tale or not. But what do you think about these priests that are carrying the box and God's not talking to them and they're just like, oh God, I hope we're going the right way. (laughs) How did they know what the right way was? God's not out in front of them as a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. How did they know? How do you know when God is leading you? We don't have a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. And the super spiritual people say, when you know, you'll know. Can I tell you that our feelings can be wrong? That our thoughts can be wrong? That our heart can be deceived? We can and should be led by God, and I believe the Holy Spirit, if we'll make our self-sanctified and our spirit-sensitive, can guide us and lead us not only through His Word, not only through prayer, not only through people, but what we used to call an unction, which means you're going in the wrong direction. Urge, course correct. <laughs> and now we're going, nope, 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 that's too much. Okay, back. And think about it. How do we guide a horse? You don't speak horse. Now, you can say, oh, I know people, they're a horse whisperer. They just know the techniques. They're not speaking horse. Come on, right? What do they do? It's all on the knees. You can drop those reins, and if that horse is trained, a little nudge here, they start moving right. A little nudge here, they start moving left. And you don't even have to touch that thing. It'll go. God may begin to nudge you a little left, a little right, keeping you between the guardrails of our faith. But can I tell you, if we're going to set out from where we're supposed to be, it's going to be tough for some of you. You can't hang on to your insecurity and your security and go for your future at the same time. They knew that desert. They knew every probably piece of sand. They'd been there for 40 years. They don't know what's on the other side. But you can't hang on to what has been and what will be at the same time. And you've got to let go of the old. You've got to let go of all your mess, all that stuff. Let it go. Just like baptism, it's under the blood. Let it go. It doesn't matter anymore. Yes, it may still hurt, but it doesn't guide your future. God doesn't care about what you could have, should have, would have been. God cares about where are you going to be led to today. But you can't hang on to security. Security is the 40 years going nowhere. We know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're going to walk in the sand. But the future is crossing Jordan. Future is going over the barrier. The future is saying, you know what? I don't know what's on the other side, but if God's leading the way, I'm going to go. And yes, it can be scary. But notice what he did. He brought him up there and he said, listen, I don't expect you guys to get this. I don't expect the whole group to just rush through the river. It's in flood mode. It's deep. 
It's fast. I don't want you dead. What you're going to see is that I got this. And it said that as the priest stepped out, it said as soon as the sole of their foot hit the water. Now listen. They still had to step it out. This isn't figuratively speaking. They literally had to walk to the edge of the water that's rushing and white-capped and ravaging through the desert at flood stage. They can't just cross it without getting swept away. And they literally... I mean, if that was me, I would want rear arc duty that day. Put Bob up front. Put over those first two guys were. And maybe that's you. And if that's you, think about the importance. If you are a pace leader, whether it be pastor or Levi, that's the great thing. There's no respecter of persons anymore. But maybe you're the person that's risky and trust God. Other people are watching and other people are seeing where you're leading. If not, we all just stand around waiting for somebody. It's like eighth grade dance. <laughs> Music's playing. And I'm having a great time on the wall. And you either get out there and shake your love thing by yourself, or you cross the gym and ask some girl that can probably say no, but maybe she'll say yes. And as soon as their feet stepped in, the water stopped. Not only that, it said it stood up like a big heap. And the rest of the water just continued on down. Now that sounds pretty cool until they give you reference in here. It said that the water backed up in a heap all the way back to Adam. That's 18 miles. All that water rushing backs it up for 18 miles and the rest of the water just flows away and as they got to the middle of the Jordan everybody starts to cross over now I want you to see the transition did God tell them to stay back a half a mile yep what happens when he gets to the middle of the Jordan? He stops and provides the bridge as everybody else goes on. He didn't just have them step in and then they kept going. They stood in the river. Remember what he told Joshua? I want you to go stand in the middle of the Jordan. That sounds insane when you go look at that river. Can you imagine doing that in the Columbia? After church, go try this. That's some faith. Hopefully we don't see you on the news. <laughs> but you think about that. They step out. And then God waits as His people, just like He did with Moses, crossing the Red Sea. All His people make it across on dry ground. And do you remember where it said they were opposite of? They crossed the Jordan opposite Jericho. 
The first big difficulty is right there waiting on them. Not a green, lush pasture, not tents already set up, not all the riches and the land filled with honey. The biggest, baddest city is right there waiting on them. But this is also the city that the two spies had said, they are terrified of us. They have heard of us. What's keeping you from crossing that boundary? What's keeping you from walking out of that bondage? What's keeping you from getting to the other side instead of wandering and wondering what's happened with God? Why can't I make it? Why can't I do it? You know what? It's not God. It's you. You've got to step out. You've got to step out. 